Hey, let's jump back. I'm going to wrap this series up. Um, back, back at Easter, we started by admitting that whenever a lot of us, you know, walk into a building like this or anytime really, and we hear the word Jesus, um, God, church, Christian, whatever that is, but especially Jesus, all right, it brings up some, some energy for a lot of us. And some of it's good. Some of us, we look around and go, no, I have great memories of Jesus since I was a little kid. Jesus is always good, things, stuff like that. But some of the rest of us, though, we, we got baggage because it, it's not all good stuff because we had a version of Jesus that was sold to us or shoved down our throat and because I don't question it, that's just who he, who he is. And so, so we, we've been, we're in a place in our life, maybe even this is where you are right now, you're trying to answer a couple questions. Do I even believe in Jesus anymore? I used to, but then some stuff happened. Or and even if I say I believe in, in him, do I trust him? And so what a lot of us have, have approached those questions is, and this is a comparison we made back at Easter, is that a lot of us approach Jesus like you walk up to a buffet line or one of those build-your-own-hamburger menus, and you go, okay, I want, I want my version of Jesus that I think will really satisfy me. I want a little bit of that and a little bit of that, but I don't want that. that. That couldn't work out well, and I take double portion of that. And then we end up with this Jesus, this BYO Jesus, all right, and that, that we say, I'm going to put him in the car seat with me, and I'm going to drive through life with me, and, and I think I'm going to be okay. And life works for a while until your life hits a wall. And what do I mean? Until your marriage, until your health, until your f- best relationship, your finances, whatever that is, the, the, the wheels fall off of that. And then you, you look over at this Jesus that you've kind of built on your own and go, hey, buddy, help me. And he looks back and goes, I can't help anything because I'm not real. I'm just something you made up. Some of it's true. Some of it is it's not even close to being true. And so a lot of us are on the verge of trying to figure out if we even believe in Jesus or not or not anymore or it, can, can we trust him so here's what here's what kind of I don't know if it's a deal I worked out but but if you're on that fence of, of trying to figure out if you believe or not would you come three or four weeks in a row and let's let's just look at Jesus that's all we've been doing for the last three weeks in here let's just look at Jesus not what maybe your old church said about Jesus it might be right might be wrong I don't know not what your mom said don't question it he's just like that and you you told to believe it let's just go back to the Bible and go what was Jesus like? What did he say? What did he teach? What did he claim? What did he promise? What did he do when he ran into a person like this? How did he treat people? Stuff like that. And we'll look at Jesus and then we'll make up our minds whether we believe in him or not. And then once we do believe in him or not, maybe we'll trust him more with parts of our life. And here's where I'm gonna land this in a few minutes, all right? And if I trust him, maybe I would actually follow him in that part of my life a little more than I currently do because I don't know if I trust him. So week one, we looked at this, um, is that Jesus cares about all parts of our lives. And a lot of times, all we want him to pay attention to is what's burning down in front of us, the outside part of our lives. And he says, I I can take care of that. But if we ignore the inside part of your life, it's just nothing changes. And so Jesus cares. Remember, Jesus cares about all the parts of our lives. We're the ones that tend to separate them out. Jesus says, you only have one life. It's inside and it's outside, but they are connected. Let's work on both of them. And then the next week goes like this. No matter what we've done, no matter what you've done when you meet Jesus, no matter what you're doing, no matter what you're planning, on doing that moment that you bump into Jesus or he bumps into you no matter what you've done Jesus immediately offers acceptance love friendship and forgiveness and acceptance there doesn't look at me he looks at you and goes it doesn't matter I don't care what you do do whatever you want no it does matter it's just not a disqualifier from him saying let's start here right you don't get cleaned up you don't try to you know fix your life or clean up your mess and then come to Jesus you come as you are and immediately he'll say okay let's start there and, 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 and begin a journey of, of love and, and acceptance. And hopefully it ends in forgiveness. And then last week, Scott said, unpacked this. Jesus offers mercy and grace to who? Everyone, all right? But just because he offers stuff, that doesn't mean that we take it. See, the only way to receive mercy and grace is to take off whatever mask that you're wearing and admit you need him. We walk around with masks all the time going, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm strong, I'm, I'm, I'm religious or whatever that is. And we don't fool anybody, Especially Jesus, all right? He says, if you'll just take that off, then you can receive the mercy and grace. Now, 
Think, think about some of those words that we just covered there. there. There are some of us that are wired up a certain way. And I don't know if it's right or wrong. I'm going to say it's right because I am. All right? I'm wired up this way. That when we think about, right, when we think about the world we live in today, I don't know what it was like 2,000 years ago, but the world we live in today and what it takes just to stay alive and to get ahead where you work and your job or your school with your group of friends or whatever, right? When, 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 we, when we think about only the strong survive, because that is our world, right, right? When we point to a man named Jesus, and he's, when we point to Jesus, we're describing a man, a real life breathing man. If we were to point to any other man and describe that person, that man, with words like that, like it, that man over there, he's loving and caring and accepting and compassionate and friendly and forgiving and merciful and graceful. All of us would say, well, that, that, that's, a, that's a really sweet man. That's a really, really nice man. But here's why some of us are wired up. I'm not saying it's right, just is, all right? We look and we hear, hear somebody described with words like that, and then we keep on going with our own list of words, even unconsciously, and we look at that and go, and I bet he's also weak and naive and passive and soft. I bet he's a doormat. I bet he's that kid got beat up in my high school all the time. I bet he was whiny. He's a victim. He's a martyr. We don't say it out loud, but we look around and any people we see that are good and kind and forgiving and merciful today, they don't last five minutes at your school. They, would, they wouldn't last a week at the place where you work. They would, they, they would get chewed up and spit out because you've got to be hard. You've got to be tough. You've got to be strong. All right. So I, I wasn't going to do this because I thought this is going to offend some people, but I decided I'm going I'm to do it anyway. All right. And so here, here it is. There's a lot of us we grew up in a version of church, I'd say over half this place, at all our campuses, probably two-thirds of us, right? We grew up in a version of religion where, um, where when you walked in the front door of your church cathedral, or, and if, if you really were into it, your mom had them all over the house too, but there was some version of this image somewhere in your life, right? Like all the Catholics just went, oh, flashback. All right, all right so just hang with me. Hang with me, okay, right? So now, now you look at that, and let's just play a game of pretend. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, just be honest, okay? If you didn't know who that was, what would you think about that? You would look at that and go, whoa, well, that didn't work out, right? Again, I'm just being honest, right? Because you look up there and there's a weak, emaciated, beaten, uh, dead man. And, And you look at that. Now, as Christians, we look at that and hopefully it brings to mind the enormous sacrifice, the cost that it, that it took for Jesus to pay our price of condemnation and rescue, rescue us out of condemnation and it, back into God's presence. So that's what hopefully we, we, we look at. But a lot of us, when we grew up thinking like this, the other thing we didn't say out loud is just this truth about the world we live in. If you don't fight back, you get crucified. If you're loving and kind and forgiving and all these other words, you look at that. I mean, again, be honest. Hardly ever do you look at, at, at caring, compassionate, loving, forgiving, kind, Jesus on a cross and look at that and go, boy, that's a strong man. I want to be like that. Honestly, we don't. Because people like that get crucified in 2,000 years ago and today. And so we're really hesitant to say, I want to be like, like him. So what I want to do today to kind of wrap up the series, I want to kind of step up to the buffet bar or the build your own Jesus you know, menu. And I want to look at some words that when you think about Jesus, you would probably skip over them most of the time because you don't, you don't want to think about him like that, all right? The words I want to look at describing Jesus are strength, anger, leverage, and wrath. And some people are going, oh, all right? Because the room, here's what happened. I just saw a whole bunch of heads. It happened last night, it happened last hour, and it just happened, all right? A bunch of, of, of head, foreheads wrinkled up and went, mm, all right? And here's what the two groups are thinking. Some of you are going, I don't want to think about Jesus like that. 
I don't want to think about angry Jesus because you mean to think he's mean, but you're wrong, right? Angry Jesus, wrath Jesus, right? I don't want to think about strong Jesus because I can't put that version of Jesus with my kids' Bible pictures that where Jesus is surrounded by baby sheep and baby rabbits and baby people and rainbows and unicorns and there's music and birds. and so I, 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 want, I don't want that. I just want to stick with my warm, cuddly Jesus. That's who I want to tuck me into bed every night. I don't want strong Jesus. And so that's part of us going on. Let's, let's, let's just stay with the, you know, soft, loving Jesus. And then there's some of us, all right, in the room and, and we just heard those four words and we went huh what are, are, are you telling me you're going to teach you're going to say that Jesus was strong did you see the picture you're, really? because at my last church or growing up my, that wasn't even on that we never talked about strong Jesus and and you're telling me that Jesus got angry well, okay you have my attention because I got angry like 12 times this week all right so so I, that I can relate to that and you're telling me Jesus leveraged something that he had to make something else happen because that's what you have to do at least where I work and wrath I don't even know what it means. It sounds something like Braveheart or Game of Thrones. So you have my attention. Let's talk about that, all right? The idea of strong Jesus, for some of us, we've been waiting on for so long because warm, fuzzy Jesus can't take care of anybody. That's how it feels. I'm not even saying it's right or whatever, but that's how it feels. So here's what we're gonna do. So when Scott and I sat down and, and we kind of put this, this four-week series together, there were a whole bunch of Bible stories going, let's tell that story about Jesus and that one. We couldn't fit them all in. So I, this past week I went, I'll just tell them all really fast. And I didn't take my meds, so we're going to go really fast. All right, so, so I'm going to tell you about five stories of Jesus really, really fast. Some words are going to jump out, and then we're going to try to apply this to our life and see what difference it makes, okay? So all these, all these stories are in your Bible, or are in your, they're in your Bible. Uh, and they're also in your program. You can look them up later. Story number one, okay? Jesus has just gotten baptized and immediately goes into the desert for my, what, what I call his version of 40 days of naked and afraid. That's how I see it. All right, so, right? He probably had a robe on, but I, that's a cooler story in my head, all right? So, so he goes on, a, he gets baptized, he goes on a 40-day retreat, and when he comes back from the retreat, it's three years, and then he's crucified. So he's about to, to start his whole mission. He goes off in, into the desert. Now, here we start with an understatement. It goes like this. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Thank you, all right? Because I've, I've seen the 21 days and the 40-day version, and they're eating bark by day four, okay? So yeah, he, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, because the tempter always comes at our hungriest moment, he never comes when we're, I'm fine, all right? It's when we're really vulnerable. The tempter, Satan, came to Jesus and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So let's go back to these words. Here's what he says. Listen, hey, if you are the son of God, if you're so almighty, if God's your father, you must be tapped into some, some superpower, something like that. How about this? Leverage your power and take care of you. That's exactly what he says, all right? You, you, right, you've been out here for 40 days and 40 nights you haven't had anything to eat you get the point you're suffering alright you're, you're a very strong person okay why don't you use some of your Jesus power to make yourself feel better you're going to save the world three years from now but you know nobody would blame you on the 40th day if you used just a little bit of your power to take care of how you feel alright Jesus comes back with this response. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from, from the mouth of God. So you, you want me to let go of my mission and use my stuff for me. And I'm not gonna do it. It's not why I came. I'm not gonna leverage my power just to take care of myself. Remember that story, okay? Next story, all right? Well, before I go on, all right, how about this? Could Jesus have done it? Could, if, if Jesus is the son of God, could he have leveraged his power to turn stones into bread? Could he have done it? Yeah, of course. I mean, you read the book of Colossians that all things were created by Jesus, for Jesus, hold together for, through Jesus, all right? So, you know, I don't think he'd break a sweat and go, you know what? Stones, breadsticks. I think he could have done it. I'm just not gonna 
use all my power and leverage it just for the things that I want to do. I'm going to use it for something else, which we're going to get to the next story, right? A few days after this, all right, Jesus is invited to a wedding. It's probably a family wedding, so he wasn't really invited because no wasn't an option. He had to go. We've all been there, all right? So he goes off to this wedding in this little town called Cana, all right? And the wedding lasts several days, but about halfway through the reception, there's a tragedy. They run out of wine, okay? Now, culturally, that means something here and it means something there. Here, if you're at a party and they run out of wine, someone just gets in a truck and goes down to the liquor store and gets more wine, all right? So, so that, that's cool, and the party goes on. But here, people, if you ran out of wine in the middle of the reception, people are over in the corners whispering, this isn't good. This is a sign. If the wedding's this bad, Save your gift receipt. This thing's not going to last, all right? And I've been to that wedding too, all right? I've actually performed that wedding. All right, so anyway, all right, so, but it's none of you. It's none of you. All right, so, all right, so, but, but, but they look at it and go, if it's, this is doomed, this is humiliating, this is horrible. Now, Jesus' mom is there, Mary, all right? And Mary walks up to, to, walks up to her son, Jesus, and throws her mom card and says, Jesus, fix this, and walks on, all right? Anybody have that mom? Don't raise your hand. Next week's Mother's Day, by the way, okay? So anyways, and Jesus is like, what's this, what? And then she turns to the waitstaff and says, whatever he tells to do, you do, do it. And Jesus is sitting there and everybody's looking at him like, are you going to do something? All right. And so this is what Jesus does. Now, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification. Time out. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, all right? Don't, when, they, when they sit at a table, their tables aren't up here. They're down here and they don't sit in chairs. They sit on cushions on the floor like this, reclining, and your feet are in somebody else's face, all right, around the table. So at the front door of every house, all right, there was a big, you know, pitcher or a jar of water and the, 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 like the, the lowest servant in the house washed, if people came, they took their their shoes off and they washed everybody's feet and their hands and their head whatever needed wash before they came in because cleanliness really they associated was uh, was was associated with, with with holiness and so this wasn't a house this was a this was a reception hall so there's a lot of jars of water okay so there, there's big jars of water there were six stone jar water jars for jewish rites of purification each holding 20 or 30 gallons do the math it's a lot all right jesus said to the servants fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And Jesus said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. Master of the feast, wedding planner. Right? It's the guy with the clipboard, the vest, and the whistle going, now, go down the aisle now. That, that, that guy, right? So he's running the wedding. He's running the show. Take some of this water over to him. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they, they knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, because this isn't how you do weddings, all right? He's going to say, I've done a lot of weddings. You're doing it wrong. So, bridegroom, everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. Let me just put that in modern day terms, all right? This is how it's done at a party. You serve the good stuff first. Once everybody has a buzz on and their, their taste buds don't work anymore, then you bring out the stuff in a box with a straw. That's how it, that's how it works, all right? And there's some good box stuff out there, just for the record. All right, so that's just true. But you, but see, you broke the rules. You have kept the good wine until now. Now, so the, that's a big deal, you know, you, Fantastic, that, that would be great if, at my party, or because I've been at a party and they, they ran out and they looked at me and I had to go to the store. But, you know, all right, but anyway, right? The big deal about this is that this is the first recorded miracle of Jesus in the whole Bible. This is his first one. Now I'm gonna be honest with you, all right? If I was Jesus, now turn to somebody and go, I'm so glad he's not. All right, all right? But if I was Jesus and I was gonna make my big entrance into the world, son of God, Messiah, Okay, I mean, I've prophesied all the way back from Genesis chapter two. And finally, I'm here. And I'm gonna make my big debut. You know what? I would have done it different. It would not have been in Cana. I would have looked around the world and found the, that, the ancient version of Times Square. That's where I would have gone, all right? And then I, 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 done, I wouldn't have done that. I would have blown their minds. 
what's this world, all right? And then I would have moved buildings around and mountains, what's that, right, right, right? And people would have fallen on the ground going, you're the son of God, we're going to worship you forever. Jesus didn't do that. Here's what, here's what he decided to do. I'm going to go to this little town in the middle of nowhere called Cana, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save a wedding, and I'm going to save the dignity and the reputation of my friend whose family got in over their head financially and is broken. They're about to be humiliated. What, what, what does that matter? I don't know if it matters, but they do. To me, I'm going to turn water into wine so that everybody has plenty of the good stuff, not just the bad stuff, and I will leverage my power for a bride and groom whose name never get, get in the Bible. You don't know their names, but Jesus did. This, their problem matters because they matter to me. This is the kind of Jesus we serve. I'm not going to leverage my, my power to turn bre- stones into bread so that I feel good, all right? I'm going to use my power to save this little couple on the most important day of their life. That's the kind of Jesus I am, all right? File that away, all right? Next story. Jesus is in the courtyard of the temple and he's teaching. Now, whatever campus you're listening to this on right now, imagine when you came into the building today, you're in the lobby and you look over in the corner and there's a man with some other people around him and he's teaching a Bible study. That's the scenario. Keep that in mind, all right? So Jesus is there teaching a Bible study in the, in the courtyard of the temple and the Pharisees, which we've looked at over the last several weeks, they're like the religious Gestapo who are, are, are just bent on, uh, we're gonna find something wrong with Jesus and then we're gonna disqualify him, all right? But this time they crash the Bible study, but they bring an object lesson with them. The object lesson is, this is how they describe the object lesson, we've, we've, we caught this girl in the act of adultery. We caught her in the act it's not a rumor we heard about her. It's not, we, we saw it on Facebook, you know, nothing like that. We, we caught her, which means this. This is consistent with what they did. They set her up. They heard some stuff about her. They followed them around. They went to dinner. Then they went, you know, to the park. And then they went to the hotel. They went up the stairs. They went in the hotel. Lights are off. Kick the door in, all right? And they went and they kicked the door in. They go over to the bed, all right? They grab her. Maybe, hopefully, she grabs a sheet. They walk out with her. They leave him. We'll come back to that in just a minute, all right? They take her through the streets. They take her over to the lobby of the temple and they throw her at Jesus' feet. And this is where we pick up the story. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. It's not a rumor, guilty. We saw it, she did it, all right? Now in the law, all right, this is the law of Moses, first five books of the Old Testament. In the law, Moses commanded us, so we don't have a choice, Jesus. Moses commanded us to stone, like bash their head in with a rock, such women. They're quoting Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. They're quoting half of it. It actually says, stone both of them, all right? Stone both the man and, and the woman. Now, I have a thought on this, all right? This is in the Bible, so don't believe this, all right? I think they, they kicked in the door, they grabbed her and recognized him. Dude, I play golf with you. Run, all right? And then, and then they took her out and he got away with it. Not fair. Now, don't quote half a Bible verse, all right? Especially to Jesus. Please don't quote the Bible to Jesus. He's read it, okay? So, all right, so the, the, the law commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. They think they got him caught because no matter what he says, they can disqualify him. If, they, if he says, that's right, yeah, the Bible's very, very clear. The wages of sin is death. Adultery is a sin. You deserve to die. There's a Bible verse to back it up. One, two, three, stoner. If he, if he said that, he'd been legal, you know, biblically right, but everybody said, boy, he's not very loving. He's not very kind. I don't know if you can trust him, so don't follow him. But if he said, listen, I know it's in the Bible. It's right there, and you know, it, it's obvious, all right? Adultery is a sin, and boys are sin is death, all right? But we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to obey God's word. Then they go, now you're Bible light. You don't obey God's word, and now you're disqualified, and people shouldn't follow him, all right? So he does, he's not going to answer their question. What do you think we ought to do, according to that Bible verse? 
He just bends down on the ground. I love this. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, what are we going to do with her? What, what should we do with her? They continued to ask him. He stood up and he said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, I love this, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, you got, you got to picture this. I've heard all these preachers and stuff speculate on what Jesus wrote in the dirt. There's no record of it. We don't know. So here's what I think. Right? You don't have to believe this. I think I'm right. Okay, all right? I think Jesus knelt down there, and there's dirt there on the floor. He looked around at the crowd that had a rock in their hand, ready to bash this woman in for adultery. I think he wrote, oh, hey, Bob, Bob. Tuesday, not at work. Like you said you were. All right, and how about this? Uh, it just went through one by one by one by one. Because here's what he's just said. He said, okay, wages of sin is death, adultery is sin. Okay, if that's the rules you want to play by, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We'll start with her, and then we'll, go, we'll just work our way through the crowd. And anybody that's committed a sin, all right, we'll give them what they deserve. And I love it that the older ones left first. Because you know what? Some, 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 some of you young Christians, you, you're kind of arrogant going, I, gotta, I can do this. I can do this. Us old guys, we can't. If you want to go through my resume and find something worth, you know, Levitical law, standing up to that, I'm running out of the temple right there, okay? So the, the old guys left first, and then the other one's going, oh, I, I don't want to play this game either. Now it's just Jesus and this woman, hopefully covered in a bed sheet, right, standing in front of Jesus. Now, here's a, here's a question. Was there anybody there qualified to throw a stone at that, that woman? If you're without sin, you can throw the first stone. Was there anybody there? Yeah, Jesus. He had a Bible verse to back him up. He had the power, he had the authority, he would have been right to do it. He had the right to punish her, but instead of punishing her, he's going to use all his authority and power and strength, not to disobey God's word, but to protect her from people who weren't qualified. Does that make sense? So, pick it up, all right? Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? What, what would be the rest of that sentence? Condemned you of what? Sin, because she committed what? Adultery, adultery is a sin. So, no one is, has no one condemned you of the sin of adultery? Because you're, you're, by the way, you're guilty. They caught you. You did it, okay? She said, no one, Lord. She looked, no one's here, no one. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, what? Of the sin of adultery, even though you did it. You, you, you did it. Now, this is the part we leave off. Go now, and from now on, what? Don't commit adultery anymore, right? See, I have the power and the authority to condemn you and give you what, what you deserve. There's a Bible verse, and you know what? She knows it. All of us that have screwed up our life, it's not like we're trying to figure out, do I really deserve, you know, anything from God because I've disobeyed? No, we know. I, in my mind, she's laying there waiting for the rock to hit her in the head. You know what? Even hoping it happens fast. Just get this over with. And she knows. She knows this is how it goes. She knows, she knows when she, she hooked up with that guy, if she gets caught, there's going to be a consequence for this. And she has friends that are no longer here because people like this had already stoned her friends to death. So she knows how it goes. But then Jesus stands there, and apparently he has the authority that everybody else is like asking him questions. I'm pretty sure he's going he's to use his power to give me what I deserve. But he looks at me and goes, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. I'm going to use my strength to get between you and those bullies who want to hurt you. And I'm going to use my strength to protect you. And from now on, don't do this anymore. You have to stop sleeping with the wrong guy. Now, in nowhere in there did he say adultery is not a sin. In nowhere he doesn't say adultery is, is, is a good thing and it doesn't matter. It's not what he says. What he's saying is, and you can fill in the blank if, if yours is an adultery, adultery is not the last chapter of your life. It doesn't have to be. 
Fill in the blank with whatever thing that, that, that has messed up your life. It doesn't have to be the last chapter of your life, but different chapters need to be written from now on. Does that make sense? Jesus could have used his strength to give her what she deserved and been right. Instead, he says, I'm gonna protect you, but things need to change. Got it? Another story. Jesus goes to the temple to pray, all right? Scott talked about this story a few weeks ago. He walks into the temple he walks into the room where people go in because the temple, the way it's set up is that there's layers to it and, and the presence of God is supposed to be in the middle and you have to, in order to get to the next layer, you have to have kind of accomplish different things. So, so Jesus goes into that outer layer and, and when he goes in there, as I listened to Scott teach this a few weeks ago, Jesus walked in there and looked around and I think it triggered some stuff. You ever like not thought about anything for a long time and you walk into a room and there's a smell, or there's a look or there's a song or there's whatever and a bunch of memories come rushing back. I think, this is just me, all right? I think he walked in there and it triggered some old memories. Oh, I have been here before. And what we're gonna see Jesus do is he's gonna, he's gonna have, he's gonna go into action mode, not reaction mode. I've got reaction mode down. Jesus is not gonna react, he's gonna, he's gonna act. So let's look at this, all right? Here's the story. The Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple, he found those who were selling, and we'll come back to that word, selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And that word selling really ought to be, and they found people there extorting people. That's what they were doing. So let me just show you, it's kind of, this is what Jesus walked into, okay? So if, if you don't know the, the whole Bible, you've probably heard this. The wages of sin is death, okay? But Jesus has, is gonna come and he's gonna be that death on a cross to pay for everything. It hasn't happened yet. So before that, if you sin, something still had to die. So there's a whole system, a religious system set up of, of killing animals at least once a year, sometimes more. But if you sinned, an animal was corresponding with that. If a big sin, you might kill an oxen or a calf. Uh, a smaller sin might be a sheep or a goat. And then if you go all the way down the line and you were really, really, really poor, you, you killed a pigeon. But the wages of sin is death. Something has to die. And so if you were, you knew I, I, I'm separated from God because of my sin you would go through your farm or whatever your, your family's farm whatever and you'd pick out a goat the best one you had and you take that goat to the temple and go so I'm here to make my sacrifice to God so that I can you know have my sins rolled back and I can still stay in community with God well we need to inspect your goat the goat inspectors they really did all right and they would look at your goat and you go mm, no what's wrong all right it has a spot what it has a spot. I mean, it has a, its hoof's not right and it has three horns and the eye's kind of weird, right? You can't use that goat. God doesn't want that goat. Well, what am I gonna do? Well, your options are go to hell. Really, I mean, if you can't be with God, right, right? And, and we have the keys. All right, so anyway, but uh, uh, so, or we, we actually have a sale on goats today here at the temple. Price is a little bit higher than that one, but they're right over there in the temple corral. You can go over there and you can buy a goat that God has approved. It's a God-approved goat. You can go buy that goat. Oh, oh. Oh, it's hell or that. Okay, here we go. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What do you plan on purchasing your goat with? I don't know, money. Where'd you get your money? I don't know. It's the Roman Empire. I just got Roman currency. God doesn't take Roman currency because it has a picture of Caesar on it. Caesar thinks he's God and he's not really God. Our God is the only God. Well, what am I gonna do? Well, you could go to hell. There's that one again, all right? Or you go over there to that table right over there and they will change your money out for a fee and they'll take your Roman currency, turn it into temple currency, then you can go buy a temple goat, come back here, and then you can be with God. And again, what are my options? Pay up or go to hell, right? That's what it is. And you gotta think when Jesus walks in the room, it's like nothing's changed. It was like this on the day that Mary and Joseph brought me in here on my eighth day of life 
Mary had to have an animal of sacrifice to, to purify her from going through all, the, all, all the, the birthing thing that was part of the religion then. And then another pigeon or something had to die so that I could be circumcised and blessed by God. And I, I know my family, they didn't have any money. Joseph, I don't know how Joseph found money for two pigeons, but he did. But today it stops. This is not what my father had in mind. I love this next sentence. Just let it sink in. And making a whip of cords. Whew, I just, that's awesome. All right. And, and making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he, now he turns to the pigeon guys because this affected his mom and dad. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. I grew up with the version thieves. All right. His disciples remembered in the Old Testament, there was a prophecy that it was written about the, about the Messiah. Zeal or passion for your house will consume me. So Jesus walks in and goes, this isn't how it's supposed to be. He has zeal, he has passion. This is not what my father's house was meant to be and you're not supposed to treat people like this and get this, all right? He turns over furniture, all right? In the temple and here's why, all right? Here's why he's throwing tables around. Because he's, ready? Angry. No more. He's not like, hey guys, could we change this? I, I don't, I, this is bothering me. I don't like this. He didn't whine at him. He turned over tables. But what he does is not reactionary anger. That's all I have. It's like in traffic, if you cut me off, I don't, what should I do here? No, I react. I, I, I look at you and go, you should die in the river. I'm going to push you in. That's what, that's what I do. I, I, I'm not a good person. I, I've never claimed to be, all right? Jesus is better than me. He, he, he's angry, but his, his anger is not reactionary. His strength intentionally leveraged. Get this. He made a whip. Who does that? Right? He made a whip. Now, let that sink in. That means when he walked in there, he didn't have a whip on him just in case. No, no, no. He didn't look at his buddies and go, can I borrow your whip? No, no, no. He looked around and he kind of analyzed what was going on here and he's angry. I know the perfect thing to do. I'll be back. And he walks out, right? And that's a good line. Uh, he walks out, right? And he goes to the store. He goes to the leather store and goes, I, I need uh, four long pieces of leather. Longer. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that. And then he goes to the handle store Yes, yeah, they're perfect, right? Then he goes and he sits on a curb outside the temple and he makes a whip. I'll be right back, all right? Haven't forgotten about you. Perfect, all right? And he walks in and goes, I'm back. And he drove people out. Get out of here. No more, all right? Now, he's angry, but he didn't lose his crap on people. He didn't go off on people and he didn't go too far. And you know what? And he didn't sin. A lot of us, all of my life, I've been, don't get angry. Jesus wouldn't like that. Really? He got angry. Paul writes to the people in, in, who live in Ephesus, in your anger, do not sin. It's not, an anger, it's not a sin to be anger, angry, but when you're angry, man, it's easy to sin, isn't it? All right, don't get in front of me, especially in a certain kind of car. All right, so that's just me, all right? He doesn't sin. He gets angry and he intentionally did what needed to be done. Not in my house. It stops today. You don't get to do this anymore. You're not going to turn my father's house. You're not going to turn church. You're not going to turn the faith system into your own personal extortion racket and hold God hostage until people do what you want them to do. No more. Jesus demonstrated anger under control by intentionally pointing his anger at the right people. And let's stop right there. That's enough. How much different would our, our lives be if we just pointed our anger at the right people instead of the people that just happen to be in front of us when the straw breaks the camel's back? That's my story. You didn't make me angry. You're not responsible for this, but you're in front of me when it and the last thing happened and you got all of it. That's not how Jesus was. He took his anger, pointed at the right people with the appropriate amount of strength and action. 
I wish I was more like that. Let me give you, give you one more story. It's less than a week before Jesus is crucified. Jerusalem is packed out with people because they come from all over the world to, to celebrate Passover. And by all over the world, we find out in this story that some men had come, four men had come all the way down around the Mediterranean Sea through the desert, a couple boat rides, all that kind of stuff to get to Jerusalem. It doesn't say if they were believers or not. They might have been. But they came to Jerusalem on this day because they'd heard some stuff about Jesus and they just want to see him. They just want to see him. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, let's pick it up. Among those who went to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip. And, and Philip, is, that's actually a Greek name. So some people think that Philip's dad was Greek. And that's why they found him first. So they, they go to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they ask him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, another one of the disciples. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there's these four guys from Greece. They want to see you. Now, let's think about this. Why, why would you, because it's not an easy journey. Why would you go all the way from somewhere in Greece, all those hundreds of miles through dangerous territory, what were they looking for? Well, I, I think they had heard some stuff maybe. They heard that there's this guy down in, in, in Israel. He claims to be from God. He's the first one that's ever come around and actually said that God is his father, which make him God's son, which would make him a God, all right? So, and, and here's the other thing. When we got here, it was a Sunday and we were just walking through town and all of a sudden a crowd came all around the streets and then we saw this Jesus guy ride a little donkey through town and everybody you know shouted hail king of Israel so we're looking for a god and a king and maybe it's true so we want to see Jesus right see they think about this you don't know anything about Greece here's what you know that's where all the stories and legends about all those gods come from right there's a god on every mountain there Apollo Zeus you know, all, all of them, they're, they're, they're all there. Some of the gods are good, some gods are bad. So we kind of have an idea what gods are all about, all right? But you know what? We are absolutely crystal clear. We know what a good king looks like. We want to see Jesus and see if he measures up. Now, let me tell you a story that you know probably more about, okay? About 400 years before, before Jesus was, was crucified on the cross, about 400 years, right around the, the Mediterranean Sea, up in the Greece, Sparta, Macedonia area, all right? There was a king from Persia who decided to take over the world. His name was Xerxes. It's the same Xerxes who married Esther earlier in the Bible. He has millions of people in his army, and he's about to go into Sparta and, and, and Macedonia and, and Greece, and he's gonna conquer them. But to get through there, he has to go through this really narrow valley, and it's protected by a guy named Leonidas from Sparta. You've seen the movie? Oh, please, yeah, all right. You should, today. All right, so, all right, so, so he has 300 soldiers and he goes and he guards, he protects this pass called the Battle of Thermopylae. It actually happened, there's a statue there today, right? And in order for the Persians to get through, to, to invade the rest of this continent, they have to go through this pass and go through these 300 men. Now, Leonidas, he leads the charge. Please know this, they knew they would die. Do the math right? 300 of your best soldiers, all right? Even if they all look like Gerard Butler, 300 of your best soldiers against a million. So it's, it's just, it's just, it's, it's the math, do the math, all right? It's going to overwhelm. So here's what, here's what Leonidas is thinking. We'll take our stand, we'll slow them down, and our death will inspire those behind us. We'll lay down our lives so that those who are behind us will have time to get together and then they might, they might live. So a, a good king lays down his life so that others may live. We know what a king is. So if you read the book, Gates of Fire, all right, if you haven't watched 300, you probably haven't read that one either. But anyway, it's all based on the Battle of Thermopylae. So, so Xerxes wipes out all these Spartans, but they capture one of Leonidas, the kings. They capture one of his servants. They bring him and throw him in front of Xerxes. And Xerxes says, tell me about Leonidas. What kind of king was he? I'm about to walk into a country. I want to know what I'm getting into. What kind of king does? Could you describe Leonidas to me? So this is how the servant describes him. I will tell his majesty what a king is. 
A king does not abide within his tent while his men bleed and die upon the field. Xerxes did that. A king does not dine while his men go hungry, nor sleep when they stand at watch upon the wall. A king does not command his men's loyalty through fear and per- or purchase it with gold. He earns it with their love by their sweat of his own back and the pains he endures for their sake. That which he... Comp- That which comprises the harshest burden, a king lifts first and sets down last. A king does not require service of those he leads, but provides it to them. He he serves them, not they him. A king does not expend his substance to enslave men, but by his conduct and example makes them free. We know what a good king looks like. We've seen one. Now we want to see Jesus. And then we'll make up our minds. But this is what a good king looks like to us. Can we see Jesus? Jesus brings them in, and he knows what's going on here. He knows, you know, he's the creator of the universe. He knows where they come from. He knows how they were raised. He knows everything going on in their head. He knows what that filter is that they're looking for in a God and a king. And you know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't quote the Bible to them because it won't matter, right? So he goes back to their own culture, their own heritage, and quotes one of their Greek proverbs back to them and connects the dots. That that thing that you learned when you were a little kid, it was pointing at me. Right? Here's how he says it. Okay? The, 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 Jesus answered to them, the hour has come, so the time's come, for the Son of Man, that's me, all right, to be glorified. And glorified means lifted up and made something greater than what you currently see. Does that make sense? So, so this is really important, all right? I'm a, something's about to happen, and I'm going to get bigger. I'm going to get bigger, all right? Truly, truly, I say to you, now this is the Greek pr- proverb, all right? Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is the kind of stuff that somebody with a big long beard and a staff sitting on a mountain would say. So unless a seed falls, right? And Jesus quotes back a proverb from Greece and everybody knows that's true. You believe that's true. It's spring, we're out working in our yards and we're planting stuff. And this is what a lot of us did this week or we we will, all right? We will open up a package of seeds and we'll take out one seed. If I leave the seed in the packet, that's all it will ever be. But if I take it, right, and, 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 I, and, I, and I throw it down and it dies and germinates and it's buried, then it becomes something more, right? He says, your own Proverbs know that's true. It was true with, with grain. It's true with Leonidas. And let me just tell you this, men from Greece, stick around for about six days and pay attention. And there's a few days after this, Jesus is, is he dies. He, he, he lays down his life. They nail him to a cross. They take his dead body and they plant it in the ground. They bury it. And three days later, something, something happened, something more than he currently was. He becomes even more, and all of us that are behind him are now protected and saved because of that. It's, it's true with seeds. It's true with Leonidas. Jesus says it's true with me, too. I'm God, and I'm king. Now, I'm done, all right? I want to I, I, I wrap up this series. On, at the beginning of the series, he said, okay, well, you just, just lean into who real Jesus is and make up your own mind. And part of me wants to go, how do we do in presenting Jesus? But that's irrelevant. Here's a, here's a better question. Here's, what is it you're looking for? What, what is it that you're really looking for in a Jesus that you could say, I can get on board with that. I could believe in a Jesus like that. I could trust a Jesus like that. And I would follow a Jesus like that. And, and here's why I ask you that question. Because the Jesus we're talking about, while the stories happened about 2,000 years ago, all right, he's still the same. See, Jesus, he's still Jesus and, and he's, he's alive right now. So if you, were in, if you saw yourself in any one of those stories and how Jesus responded to that person, he would still do that with you. Right? He'd, still, he'd still do that with you. If, if that's who Jesus is and you never thought of him like that, here's my question. Do you think you, you, you could trust him a little more with your life if all that stuff is true? And if you trusted him, do you think that maybe you could follow him a little more in your life? And if you followed him, do you think it's possible that that part of your life that you're thinking about right now 
could actually become more like him. Because that's the goal, right? I want to change and I want something better in my marriage, in my own life, with my kids, with my, with my heart, whatever that is, I want something better. Do you think that if I followed him more closely that maybe my life would change? What, what do you mean? How about this? What, what, if, what if your whole life wasn't dedicated to just getting more and more and more and bigger and better and impressing everybody around you by what you've done? And there's nothing wrong with getting more and more and more and, and going on trips and, and buying cool stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But what if your life was more about people around you did not have a category for how you leverage everything you have, not just for you? I, I mean, why do you help so many people? Why do you, you can't help everybody's, people, everybody's problems, but why do you leverage what you have to help someone like that? Why, why is your car full of groceries and you're going to church? Why do you leverage the little money you have? You have a lot of money, you have a little money. Why do you leverage your life for the people like that? Could I become more like that? How about this? I used this illustration at a men's retreat one time and everybody stopped breathing. So it's for everybody, but let me just talk to the dads in the room, all right? What if when you get really angry, your family feels safer it's okay, dad's mad, right? We're gonna be okay because we can get behind his anger, right? What if the most important people in your life felt safer because they knew that you were, they were protected by your anger rather than feeling like they had to run from your anger? Wouldn't your house be different? It's okay, dad's angry and I can hide behind that but you better not come close, right? It's just better, right? What if, what if our wrath wasn't poured out on the wrong people, the people that happen to be in front of us, which is usually our family members, they just get it. It was a bad day at work, but you know, we can't pour our wrath on our boss, we'll get fired. So we pour it out on our daughter. What if we just saved our wrath and pointed it in the people that sin against our family as opposed to our family? What if when, when things go wrong, everybody in your neighborhood knows, don't mess with Jim's family, why? He'll make a whip, He'll, he'll, turn, he'll turn some furniture over. He'll do whatever needs to be done to protect that which God has entrusted to him. I want to be a man like that. All right? And our only hope of becoming a person like that is to follow a leader and a God and a king like that. And we have one. And his name is Jesus. And he hasn't changed. And he's real. Can you trust him? So here's what we're going to do. Here's the takeaway is that would you come back for the next four weeks? We're going to actually take a look at what, what our life might change into or change towards, not all at once, but little by little, if we really leaned more of our lives, the, the most important parts of our life against Jesus, what could happen in, in our life? I'm gonna be teaching, Scott's gonna be teaching, Ben Foote's gonna be teaching about what a changed life could actually look like if we trusted him just a little bit more. Now I'm done. Now we're gonna sing a song. It's a song that, our, that some guys on our worship team, they wrote it like one day. I, who does that, all right? And then, and then I, I wasn't here last weekend. I was out of town with Robin. And then uh, I listened to it online and I listened to this worship song we're about to sing. And I went, this is the perfect song to land this whole series. Don't, don't, don't leave early. I know um, we're just one minute, three minutes over. All right, but uh, but the, at the very end, we're just gonna sing the name of Jesus over and over and over. And anytime you get this many people, whatever campus you're at, you get this many people packed in a room singing the name of Jesus. Um, heaven comes a little bit more. I, I believe that. And um, I just be honest with you. I think I speak for a lot of us. It's been a really bad week you know anybody else and uh i just need jesus to be around me right now all right so let's stand up church all right and uh let's sing to about for a really really good good jesus god um i come into this place right now and i just look out at people's faces right now and we're we're desperate for something better and and then jesus you say you're better you're good, you're kind, and you're strong, and you get angry, but you get angry at the right things, and you point that anger at the right, at the right sources, and so we need to be more like that, but we just need more of you in our life, because if the most important parts of our life are ever going to get better, you're going to have to show us how, 
And so we, we're going to hold on to you. We're going to sing. We're going to worship. Then we're going to get up out of this room. And then we're going we're to try to follow closer because we trust you more. And we believe that you're great. You're good. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.